Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Bulldog basketball is on a roll. Lady Bulldog basketball is still on track. And the Diamond Dogs are, well, I'm not sure what they're on right now, but uh, maybe a pretty hot seat, proverbial speaking. Well, let's talk about it all here in the Doghouse on the Believe Podcast Network. Welcome back for this week's edition of the Doghouse. I'm your host, David Murray, and thanks for joining on the Believe Network here. And we're still coming down from last night's thorough, and I do mean thorough victory, by Christian's team over Ole Miss. They end up squaring the season series, and uh, still a little bit of Oh, regret, I guess, that they weren't able to pull off the win in Oxford, which was very much in their grasp for so, so much of the way. But that's okay. The home team, the home court has ruled in SEC played by and large this season, maybe even in college basketball in general. The Bulldogs did exactly what they had to do to take care of the in-state rivalry aspect and in thorough fashion because besides a great game by Tolu Smith, you just look at an all-around effort by everybody, nobody else really playing above their heads. The Bulldogs played to their capabilities in several aspects, maybe a few less. And to me, that's a positive, which we'll get to in a moment when we're thinking in longer season terms. As of right now, as I said, State finishes the year, at least the regular season, squared with the Rebels. And uh, who knows if they meet up again in a couple of weeks in the SEC tournament. But that's too far down the road at the moment. We're talking last week about a streak, but it was in two-game terms. And we even wondered, can you call two games a streak? Well, when you got four straight wins in the SEC, yeah, they're streaking, and there's no signs of the Bulldogs slowing down at this point after the display they put on in Humphrey Coliseum last night, and congratulations, too, to the crowd. Yeah, there was some griping about the attendance figures for the Arkansas game previously, and the fact that State really went into the last minute with that game very much in question when they beat lowly Arkansas. And that sounds nice to say. And we're able to come back and play a much better rounded game against Ole Miss. And if you have to ask how you want it to be done, let's take it that way. Regardless, they proved they didn't have to play their best game to beat a bad team. They didn't have to play a perfect game to beat a comparable team. That's just, again, another positive sign for how Chris Jan's club is starting to put it together here right just in time for not just the end of the regular season, but as you start looking forward to tournament time as well. By the way, uh, State has a late game this weekend in Baton Rouge, a team that uh, has had their ups and downs. They were hot for a while, then took a lump or two. Then they beat Kentucky last night on a really incredible shot, as if you've seen the replays there. So the Tigers have got a little momentum back, possibly. But the Bulldogs will be in Baton Rouge for, I think, a 7.30 tip-off there. Pull that one off. Then you got next Tuesday's rematch for the Kentucky team, which looks nothing like the bunch that Mississippi State played in Lexington a few weeks ago. The Bulldogs have a serious chance to get something going here. But just the fact that they've got four straight wins, that's a big enough story in and of itself right now. Yes, they have been beating up on the second half of the SEC standings. That's what you're supposed to do if you're a competitive team. They took care of Missouri easily enough and Georgia. Like I said, had maybe a closer tussle than you were justified with the Razor Swine, but it worked out just fine in the end. Thank you, Josh Hubbard. Terrible shooting night most of the way. But guess who had the ball in his hands and put the ball in the basket when it mattered most in the final minutes? You got it. Our freshman flash. Last night, it was the Tolu Smith Show. I did a wrap-up a week or so ago of his career against Ole Miss, and he's had one or two really good games, but generally he's been mediocre or worse in matchups with Rebel teams over his previous three seasons. 
Well, this time, no doubt about it. And he wasn't in the starting lineup, but he ended up with 25 minutes and 24 points. And you can't ask for much better efficiency like that. Uh, now, we can always pick nits about things. And uh, anytime you have the same field goal accuracy as you do free throw accuracy, as in 8 of 15 from both, well, that's pretty acceptable if you're not standing still at the stripe. But you just, Smith is what he is. This team is what it is from the free throw line. You just accept it and treat it as when they make it, you cheer. If they don't, well, go get the rebound and make a field goal again. The point being that uh, Smith, quite a few games, has had better shooting from the field than he has the free throw line, so maybe we shouldn't complain about him breaking even at this point. Still, 24 points from Tolu, just the kind of game you want from your leader out there. And as I mentioned, uh, Josh Hubbard. Now, that's a team that Josh really wanted to beat. And you remember he had a great first half at Oxford before they clamped down on him. And plus, State got a little bit behind and do things offensively kind of out of rhythm and even to make it as close as they did. Well, this game, Josh, he just struggled. But he's been struggling now. And, and here's the odd fact of it to me about this win streak. And yet also, same time, the encouraging fact. In these four victories, Josh Hubbard is... Get your scratch pad out. 16 of 52 from the field. Well, that ain't good. 11 of 34 from the arc. That's tolerable, a little under 33%. And he's been fouling out a lot. Not fouling out, but drawing a lot of fouls lately, too. So Josh has cooled off offensively. He's still taking as many shots as he did for Sometimes maybe a few too many more. But he's not making as many. And yet... The Bulldogs are winning. Yes, against teams below them in the standings. Again, that's what you're supposed to do. That's why you have standings. But what I want to point out is the fact that Mississippi State has proven it can beat a comparable team like Ole Miss, who matches up pretty well. I think State's a superior lineup in most regards, especially when everyone is healthy and getting everyone back in just in time for the stretch here has been just a huge bonus for Jans and company. Again, the point is, the Bulldogs can beat a competitive club without getting a double-double from Smith, whose rebounding has dropped off pretty drastically the last several games, or a hot night from Hubbard. You can have neither of those and still beat SEC teams. Okay, it's not as spicy a story for we in the media business who like to trumpet the tag team approach they have there. It's, it's a great story. It's fun. It's easy. But it's way better for the state of Mississippi State when you start looking long-term that you can win these kind of games without your top dogs in the stat sheet having great nights on the stat sheet. What's allowing the Bulldogs to win these games is now you're getting not just good minutes, but reliable minutes week to week to week from several players. Now look what uh, Jimmy Bell has been able to do on the boards and defensively. He's not scoring much, but when he does take a shot, he generally makes it. So being selective has been key to him at that end. And last night, Ole Miss, they really found themselves physically overpowered by Bell, who in a little stretch there in the second half, I thought, was on the verge of just taking over if he'd stayed out there much longer. Well, as it turned out, it's just fine. You know, put Tulu back in, you got even better. That still encourages what Bell can do now against physical ball teams like the Rebels tried to be defensively. Not very successfully. Of course, offensively, they live and die by the three, and last night they mostly died. And Keyshawn Murphy. Now, 
His reliable minutes have been encouraging lately. If, if he would just have a little bit better shot selection, maybe. I mean, he still only has, what, four or five three-pointers on the season, but he loves lofting it from the arc. That's okay. He's athletic. He makes things happen. He's a matchup problem for most teams he's going to face. He looks like the kind of body and skill set that would fit in with, say, a Kentucky. Except he's wearing maroon and white now. And he's just getting, now that he's finally healthy, now that he's got everything adjusted properly and body and mind alike, and fitting into the game plan, coming off the bench and doing his damage, he's been that boost that means the other team can't sit there and say, okay, we've got Hubbard out of the game. We've got Smith out of the game. They only have to worry about one real scoring threat out there. Not true. And I don't, don't, don't just mean Murphy either. Shaquille Moore is quietly having an outstanding month at this point. Again, he doesn't blow you away with his stat sheet. But when you need a shot, you don't even hesitate giving him the ball, even as much sometimes, even more so than Hubbard, because Shaquille Moore has a better chance of being left open, especially for some of the corner shots that he likes so well, where Hubbard's just going to be chased all across the court, and deservedly so. The fact that Moore is not only willing but able to make those shots, that just throws defenses totally out of whack, And let's just throw in a congratulations to Deshaun Davis. When he was in the starting lineup, he was really struggling and uh, was the subject of quite a bit message board ire. I'm not going to say it wasn't justified. I'm just going to say it was a little harsh sometimes against a guy that we've seen make plays before here at State. And he hasn't had a great first half of this season. In SEC play, he really struggled to find what he was as a starter. But now that he's coming off the bench... He may have an invisible line on the stat sheet. You know, I keep referring to that sheet, but it's something that's so easy for us media and fans to get caught up in, just the pure numbers. thing I noticed about Davis last night and then looking at the stat sheet later, he makes plays that just don't show up there, whether it's a defensive stop forcing somebody to get rid of the ball. I'm not even talking about a steal. Just making the offense change course late in the shot clock. That's almost as valuable as a steal. And certainly, it disrupts everything they're trying to do and puts your own defense in better position when they have to take a forced shot there. One thing, creating a steal is great. Offensively, he's moving the ball, and when he's asked to, he has hit some balls from long range and medium range as well. What I'm saying about Deshaun is he's found his role coming off the bench in this regard. Now, would you start him if you had to? Sure. Uh, At least he's got that experience, and I don't think he would all of a sudden revert back to old form if he did. I'm saying these weeks coming off the bench have been good for him, getting his confidence back, getting his game back, and just finding out where he fits in with this particular lineup instead of feeling the pressure that I've got to be the guy, quarterback in this club, telling everybody what to do. I could say that for several guys, you know, Cam Matthews, DJ Jeffries, when they're doing their contributing roles, or what you call supporting actor roles, and doing them well and consistently, and not drawing fouls. Still a sore point sometimes with the dogs. They do tend to foul a little more than necessary, but they sure kept that down in the second half last night when they were taking control of the game. So just getting back to what I was hinting at earlier, the fact that you can keep playing competitive ball and not need superior nights from a handful of players, but just get the standard game from everyone out there. That's the kind of team that's going to be really tough for even the good teams you're going to face in the end of SEC season, in the SEC tournament, and on into the NCAA tournament, which now we expect. Uh, 
we're kind of more hoping going into it. They, but after last night, you feel like you're just to the point of saying expect it. Well, you feel like now you've got a team that can afford to have somebody be off that night, somebody have foul trouble, somebody catch the flu, all the myriad of things that can disrupt a team in the most pressurized point of the season. Now you've got people that have come in in good competitive games, done what they had to do exactly as they were supposed to do it. That can carry a club a long way, even if you're seated down in the lower reaches of the bracket, which leads us to where Mississippi State now stands as far as NCAA tournament. Again, not nothing near a lock. You could still have everything fall apart at this point, but with a net that, as of this morning, I believe had jumped back up to 36, I think they began the week at, what, 38, then going into last night, somehow they dipped down to 41 without playing a game. That's the nature of the net when you're dependent on what 360-something other teams are doing. But now they're back up to 36, and that's the sixth best net in the SEC. Maybe fifth best now that I think of it. I know Florida moved past. You got Alabama, Auburn, Tennessee, Kentucky, Florida. Yeah, should be the sixth best net because Texas A&M has taken a tumble lately there. And, of course, the Bulldogs and the Aggies will be playing down the home stretch of this season. The downside at this moment, and it's not a terrible downside, but still a little uncomfortable, is the people who make their living drawing up these brackets. Uh, one hasn't updated in a couple of days and still lists Mississippi State as number 10 seed. And the one that is updated Echoes it. Still says a number 10 seed for the Bulldogs after last night's victory. Now, you beat LSU and certainly you beat Kentucky. You're going to make some moves up that bracket. The trick is how far up do you go? Because as most of you all know, and if you don't know, listen to those who do. As weird as it sounds, you'd rather be a 10 seed than an 8 or a 9. Because obviously, 8 and 9 play each other and they're matched up with the number 1 seed in that particular regional. Ten seeds play the seven, or seven seeds ten, as you know. So you want to climb up into that seven range. Six certainly better. You get the better matchups the higher up you go as you start getting into those teams from minor conferences, the one-bid leagues. Doesn't mean they're bad teams, just means over the long haul your odds seem better. But at this point, I wouldn't be horribly disappointed with a ten seed if the alternative was eight or nine, which to me is actually worse a little bit. But you beat LSU, you beat Kentucky, you finish strong and don't really have any bad stumbles on the rest of the way, then I think the Bulldogs have a good chance to climb up to seven because the SEC is getting really a lot of respect overall. I think nine teams are listed in most brackets as getting a bid this year out of a uh, 14-team league. That ain't bad. However, as I've said before, I've watched enough of these games, I'm not sure I see a team out there that could win the national championship. Uh, maybe one or two that could make the Final Four if they really got hot, but I just don't see a, a team out there, not even Alabama, or on the nights they're actually playing their best game, Kentucky, that looks like there's somebody that could put a six-game run together in the tournament. That's their problem. Mississippi State's problem is just keep putting the Ws together. The net will take care of itself. The seedings will fall into place. And Chris Jan's team will not only return to the NCAA tournament for a second straight year, and that's going to be, as best I know, an unprecedented feat for a new head coach at Mississippi State to go his first two seasons. You won't be going to the play-in game. You'll be a seeded team playing on a Friday, a Thursday or a Friday, and you'll be in better shape 
to start doing some things in the postseason. Still weeks away, but you can almost see it coming now because you're getting down to that point where the schedule is getting shorter and the pressure is only getting higher. So congratulations to Jans and Club for taking care of their business last night and making their point to the Rebels. So let's turn to a team that did not make their point against the Rebels, at least not on the road. Um, listening to the game in Oxford, I thought with four minutes left, hey, they're going to pull it off. And, and believe me, I thought the Lady Bulldogs were going to lose at Ole Miss. Just, again, the home-and-home nature of the women's game may be even more pronounced than the men's game, with a handful of exceptions of those truly superior teams, the South Carolinas of the world. And there aren't many like that one in the world, by the way. Well, love Sam Purcell. Even as I could hear Jason Crowder saying that they're going to slow the pace, back it off a little bit within the constraints of the shot clock. I'm thinking, yeah, do you really want to do that? I mean, I understand. I'm not saying it was the wrong call because it it's never quite as clear whether it works or not. Sometimes the wrong call works and vice versa. I just didn't think it was the right move quite that early. And then the missed free throws, well, there's nothing you could do about that. Anyway, Ole Miss wins in overtime. They get to crow a little bit after they evened up that series. Of course, the Bulldogs won here in Startville, and that was one of the better wins of the season for the Lady Bulldogs, who are now still 20-7, and and they're 7-5 and SEC after consecutive losses. The Ole Miss loss doesn't worry me. The Florida game, that kind of worries me, except for the fact that it was one of those nights where the Lady Gators, uh, proverbially, anything they chucked up looked like it was going to go in the goal. And there was just, at some point you say, you can't defend a team that's shooting unconsciously. Well, Purcell's team is still solidly in the NCAA field right now. I've seen them seated as high as number seven. You don't get as many brackets on that side, but soon you'll see a few more taking place. But keep in mind, too, they've only got three games left after tonight. In fact, as I record this, they're about an hour away from tip-off against Kentucky at home. So after tonight, you've got a road trip for consecutive games across uh, the Alabama border, and you finish up at home with Missouri, and then it's SEC tournament time. So it, it, their end is racing ahead, and from now on out, Purcell's team is playing for the best possible seating, both in the SEC tournament and the NCAAs as well, and the two go hand-in-hand, hand, more so in women's basketball than it does in men's. As increasingly, men's conference tournaments are almost getting to be like a lot of conference baseball tournaments in that it, there aren't many teams that are going to win an NCAA berth by sweeping through a tournament if they're not in the high seeds already. So you're just kind of playing to um, nibble the margins of your seeding one way or the other, more or less. But this is a team that, when they're on their game, you got to like what Purcell has been able to do the second half of the season once they got some bodies back together. We talked about that a great deal the last two weeks, that just having a 10-dog roster has been invaluable for them as they come down this stretch now. Of course, Jessica Carter took a hard fall in one of the games. I'm not sure what physical percentage she was for Ole Miss. She did play before she fouled out. In fact, it felt like the entire lineup was going to foul out at one point. And, you know, there the Ole Miss basketball coach was frustrated about the men's game last night in Starkville. Sam Purcell, he had no sympathy for you the way the Zebras were working in Oxford this past Sunday. Regardless, the women are in good shape still. They just need to take care of business against Kentucky. And that's a personal game for Purcell and his long experience at Louisville. Uh, of course, Kentucky had stayed on the ropes, almost knocked out for the count 
and then state with thank you to Brescia Poe, shot themselves back in just in time to force overtime and then win it. Let's hope they, by the time again you hear this mostly, it will be in the books. You'll know what happened, but pull that one off, get some momentum back going here, and you'll be just fine as you start already looking ahead to what's going to come for tournament time. Going outdoors. Tournament time is a long, long ways away, but Mississippi State is making it even longer. Following that game last night, I was not able to be at Duty Noble Field, though I was doing uh, one of the threads on it. Thanks for the uh, MSU Stat broadcast and Jim Ellis and Ron Polk's commentary. And let me tell you, I've known RP long enough. Uh, he showed up at Mississippi State the same year I did as a freshman, by the way. So we do have a little time on the same campus together. Jim is such a professional that unless you've known him as long as I have also, sometimes you can't really tell what he thinks of the way the team's playing. Ron can't hide it. He's frustrated, but no more so than Chris Lamonis. That was the post game he had with Jim was about as blunt as he usually gets. And then he followed up with his post game inside the press room with our media core and talking about, the team soft. Now he chewed on them. He, he took it easy on them after Tuesday's game and then just lit into him last night. And why not? You're up five, nothing. And the other team can't throw a strike. Now in the long run, by the way, I think that came back to hurt state that they weren't seeing a lot of strikes early on. Um, I think you understand what I'm saying by that, because by the time the Austin P governors did start throwing strikes, the bulldog batters didn't adjust to it. Still five, nothing, eight to four, 10 to 5 in the fifth inning, you think, okay, at the very least, you squared the series. You don't have to use up a whole lot of arms. You can just brush some guys up and get ready for the Georgia Southern Series. No. You end up having to run guys out there to try to put out fires. And in one case, he brought the proverbial can of gasoline, not intentionally. It just You're asking a soft thrower like Schulke to go over two innings. That doesn't work. Not against most teams and certainly not against Austin P. That's not blaming the kid. It's just he's not your typical closer who comes in and mixes things up. He, he He's not going to blow you away there. But he was put in a situation against a team that all of a sudden hits back-to-back home runs off him for three runs, gets back in the game, one point, a one run down. Then they blow it open in the top of the ninth inning. They got no gas left, and you don't dare use anybody else because you now you've got to have a bullpen ready for Friday, Saturday, and Sunday games. You know, Lamonis made a comment last Sunday after completing the series with the Air Force, which they won, that no coach likes two midweek games because it taxes them. But they did it this time because it made them run some guys out there. Well, they ran some guys out there, and several of them acquitted themselves well. It was good to see um, Holcomb bounce back from that, you know, that terrible inning he had, just one inning against Air Force that set up the loss to them and come back and throw pretty well in the Austin P series. Uh, Gavin Black, he had some pissing, impressive innings out there. They got a few mix and match guys. You know, I talked the other day about the rotation. And by the way, it looks like they will stick with the same trio for this coming weekend with Georgia Southern. Uh, it will be um, Nate Dome on Friday at 4 o'clock Central. It will be Cal Stevens and Gerangelo Sanjay will go on Sunday as well. So at this point, they plan to stay with it. And remember, that's three guys that put together, uh, what, 23 strikeouts in 15 innings with just four walks in the first series of the season. 
I think the rotation isn't that far from being set at this point. Now, you still there's still a couple of guys who haven't thrown. We haven't gotten the innings you want yet out of, uh, let's say, uh, Bradley Lofton or others to really challenge the rotation. But at some point, that's where I'm a little... Yes, you've got to play these games at some point, but cramming two into these first weeks may have been a little overambitious as far as the scheduling goes with so many unknowns in the pitching staff. Yeah, these games help you find out some things, but sometimes they also find out some things that maybe aren't exactly true for the whole season because the initial impressions can look really awkward there. Re- replay that if you have to, and, and I think a message will come through at that point that basically I'm saying you should have just played one game this week. But that's all retrospect, as is you know how do you match every pitching. And I, I'm not blaming the pitching staff. I still think this is going to end up being a strength, which a week ago I wouldn't have said. Now, all of a sudden, I think, yeah, the pitching is essentially carrying this club. Defense has been pretty good, not great, but pretty good. Because, again, Logan Kohler, who did get to swing the bat last night in a pinch hit roll, it looks like he'll be back in third base, uh, hopefully as soon as tomorrow evening against the Eagles. Because the inning or two that he showed against Air Force, he thought, yeah, he's got that third base taken care of. Plus, is one at bat, you got a hit in an RBI. Well, last night, he was outed but he made good contact on it, so you get him. David Mershon has yet to play at shortstop. Dylan Cup, who has given a little bit of offense at the number nine or number eight spots, depending on what the lineup was. Maybe, uh, I think long-term, Cup is going to be a good, solid college player and a hitter as well. Right now, he's just not quite ready. I'd rather have Mershon out there, move him up in the lineup, maybe bat him second. Amani Larry, um, you know, he... This is the thing about the team so far. We thought the offense was going to carry them, certainly through the first part of the season. And there have been little contained flashes where they did. But I'm trying to think of a polite way to say this because I'm not going to be a rabble rouser at this point. I'm certainly not writing them off because I've seen these guys swing and know what kind of contact they can make, that they can move the ball around, they can really drive it when they need to. I think part of the problem was after so many walks last night and then the previous night when they were told not to take walks, and that's going to take a little bit of explaining if it ever gets around to it, why they changed their approach so much. But, you know, coaches have their scouting reports. They're trying to kill the ball. Everybody, I think one message board poster put it quite nicely today, said everybody's out there trying to hit a 600-foot home run. We've got one or two guys who can do it, but that's not the ideal plate approach when last night just one more base hit and the game's blown open. Instead of taking a bases-loaded walk, how about a bases-loaded single or even better double and score two and three runs? How about break the will there? Mississippi State's offense had a chance to crack Austin P and did not do it. Now, it's been good to see Hunter Hines get back his eye a little bit. He's up to the team leading average of 381. Larry, your leadoff guy, 348 after five games. Good. On base average could be better at 42% or so because one thing is he's not walking. He's drawn two walks, but really he's – as the leadoff guy, and of course he hit a home run last night to begin the game, which may have been one of the worst things that could happen to that offense, weirdly speaking. 
he's still not drawing walks, and I don't think they're making pitchers work enough sometimes in those regards. Um, Bryce Chance, now that's just a ball player. Yes, he's had some bad luck in clutch situations. He's come up there, he's hit the ball hard with nothing to show for it in the situations that you exactly want him to be up there in. I suspect if he keeps getting those chances, you'll see him come through as it goes on. Dakota Jordan, still, I have to keep reminding myself, he's still a freshman plus one week. Eight strikeouts and four walks already in 20 official at-bats. That's a lot of Ks for this early in the season for him. Of course, Hines has six as well. And when your two, three batters have 14 of your team's total 37 strikeouts in offense, yeah, that's some guys that either are trying to kill it on the fastballs and then getting frozen on the off-speed stuff. Just something is not quite clicking. Now, Nate Chester, who's stepped in in the place of Kohler at third base, he had some good hits the last couple of games as well, still long way to go as far as the average. Uh, Ross Highfield, they're working him at DH because right now it's going to be either Johnny Long or Joe Powell doing the catching. I don't know if the plans will change for this weekend uh, still, but once Highfield's fully ready to go, then you've got a decision to make between your three catchers, who sits and who DHs or who just doesn't do anything at all because he can't get them all in there every game. As far as uh, other players, and Jackson McKenzie, kind of an encouraging show from him a couple of times now when he's been put out in pinch situations. And I mentioned Kohler, of course. I, that's a guy I want to get out there every day and just let him find his groove. But offensively, 247 average, you're getting out hit with a 260 average after five games. Yes, just five games, but still, that's kind of scary considering the quality of competition they've been playing right now. State, I mentioned the strikeouts. As a team, they're not really striking out that much. And two players basically account for so many of the strikeouts. And uh, down at the nine hole as well, Cup, only 37 strikeouts compared to 32 walks. Yes, the walks were inflated by the second Austin P game, but still. And also getting hit a good bit. Seven plunkings already. Yeah, I know you always risk an injury there, but still, that means you're you're not bought into you know, hacking at something that's going to come in a little bit too close. So, Lamonis kind of summarized it last night in the infernal, eternal way that baseball makes us deal with. It's that invisible line that nobody knows until they sit on it between being too aggressive and being too passive at the plate. I think I have another word for it. I would call it the clutch quality. And right now, nobody, and and there have been plenty enough games already this season where they needed to show clutch, and it hasn't popped up yet. Certainly not any consistency, and very rarely, if at all. That's what this offense needs. Somebody to get up there and just hit the dadgum ball, find a hole, make something happen, even just knock it in there and force an error cracks the door for a huge inning. This offense, there's a there's still too much potential there to be struggling like this with this kind of average. And no, they're not the best offense in the SEC, but they're an improved offense over last year, and they're not relying on the long ball as much as the previous year. Home runs are fun, but how often the left past two seasons we've bemoaned, give me that multi-RBI double compared to the solo home run. Well, they are hitting more doubles, and you've got a triple on the register right now. But they need to get the consistency and at the right time, right place. Again, it's not something that can be at, – at this level of the game, 
you, you can't coach clutch. Guys either have it or they don't. And if they don't, you go sign players who have it. But they're going to get plenty more chances to show it in coming weeks. And as I mentioned, they're going to stick with the same rotation this weekend. How they work the relief after these uh, experiences will probably have a better idea. I haven't scouted Georgia Southern much. I'll leave that up to Mike Nemeth, who provides it on jeanspage.com. A good in-depth look at what the Eagles are. And uh, as far as the left-right, what styles they play, what kind of offense they are. But I got to think that after these three games, it's going to be pretty close to time to start and figure out who does what in what role out of the bullpen. Even do you make any changes at starter? Like, And I don't mean changing the three, but do you adjust who goes when? Telling you what, if Cal Stevens walks out and has anything, anything remotely resembling what he did last Saturday against Air Force, against Georgia Southern, it may be seriously time to think about Let's run this guy out there on Friday night and get him ready for what's going to come SEC season. Or do you take the Pat McMahon approach, as we all are familiar with? Do you save your best arm for Saturday in that pivotal game to either clinch a series or square a series? There's no wrong answer. And if anything, I actually tend more to Pat, not just because he's a friend, but it's almost a way of playing it safe. But then again, I always go back. Yes, do I ever go back? But it's baseball. Of course we do. To 1989 in the the dugout at Baton Rouge before game one of doubleheader, when I saw the lineup on the wall of the dugout, I went, Chris George is starting game one and not Bobby Reed? And Ron Polk said, I'm not going to waste a pitcher against Ben McDonald. And, of course, State won the game. You'll remember, but you get the idea. (laughs) It still holds true sometimes. And sometimes it doesn't. And isn't that why we still love and loathe baseball? Nothing is ever the same and nothing ever really changes. Uh, That's a little bit more zen than I really want to deal with at this point on a Thursday evening. As I see by the clock, the Lady Bulldogs aren't that far from tipping off. I'll have to tune in Jason tonight because I don't believe it's on any network out there. So it would be good to listen to while getting on the exercise bike this evening. And uh, come on, y'all bring us in a victory here. Meanwhile, thank y'all for checking in on another edition of the Doghouse here on the Believe Podcast Network. This has been your host, David Murray. And if you like what you've been hearing, give us a like on Apple Podcast. And if you don't like what you're hearing and uh, don't care for Apple, put a like on either just, just to spy everybody. Hey, it works for me. Thanks for checking in. This is David Murray. I'll be talking to you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.